0: Our scripture today is Acts chapter 6 verse 8 through chapter 8 verse 3. Acts chapter 6 verse 8 through chapter 8 verse 3. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. "'who would enslave them and afflict them four hundred years. "'But I will judge the nation that they serve,' said God, "'and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place.' "'And he gave him the covenant covenant of circumcision. "'And so Abraham became the father of Isaac "'and circumcised him on the eighth day. "'And Isaac became the father of Jacob, "'and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. "'And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt.' But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on the fir- on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem, and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us, as for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me to slain beasts and sac- bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God Rephen, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. "'Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. "'What kind of house will you build for me?' says the Lord. "'Or what is the place of my rest? "'Did not my hand make all these things?' "'You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, "'you always resist the Holy Spirit. "'As your fathers did, so do you. "'Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? "'And they killed those who announced beforehand "'the coming of the righteous one, "'whom you have now betrayed and murdered.' you who received the law, as delivered by angels, and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. But the word of our God will stand forever.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Daniel. And uh, thanks to our new record holder for longest passage read at Redeemer, Christina Chisholm. Uh, for those of you who are new, we don't usually read like five pages of scripture, uh, but we do read it. Uh, and uh, there's reasons uh, that we wanted to have the whole thing read. Um, I don't know how much uh, or how many of you guys uh, watch or enjoy cable news, uh, but I can barely stand it. Um, uh, I'm, I, you know, I lean more conservative. But even the conservative cable news folks, I have a hard time with. And what I have a hard time with on on both sides, is they'll kind of defend their side and they'll they'll minimize their side's at faults, and then they'll blow up the other sides. You know, whatever they're doing wrong or whatever, and and it just seems dishonest to me most of the time. It seems it's it's us. Versus them, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, whichever side it's on. And, and look, just to be clear, just news and politics is controversial. I'm not saying that there's never a, a right side and wrong side. Sometimes there are, the, the Bible speaks to some of these issues. So I'm not saying it's all meaningless. I'm just saying so often both sides are unfair to each other. And they mischaracterize each other. And they make straw man arguments about whatever the other side might be saying. And and sometimes there can be an us versus them feel between Christians and the rest of the world. Uh, And we can be guilty uh, like cable news folks when we're describing those who disagree with us. Uh, And those who disagree with us can be just as bad. Uh, For example, Christians, we don't get to make up our own rules about what's right and wrong. We believe the Bible is the word of God uh, and that's binding. And we're told that there are several things we must do uh, and several things that we must not do. Uh, and it always drives me crazy when I hear non-Christians describe Christians as being maybe homophobic or hating people who are gay. Now, maybe some Christians might be that way, but most Christians simply believe that the Bible calls homosexuality sin. And those who would affirm homosexuality would make Christians believe that or those who would affirm homosexuality would make Christians who believe what the Bible says about that, that it's sin are hateful and unreasonable and are just kind of stuck in the past. And, and this will happen with Christians on all sorts of issues. We'll all we'll be mischaracterized, misunderstood a lot. And, and this is one of the small prices that we're going to have to pay as Christians in our part of the world is just being misunderstood and mischaracterized. But fortunately for us, this will be annoying and frustrating. But uh, so far in my lifetime, I've never felt as if my life was threatened. But, but in our text today, Stephen isn't just being misunderstood. He is being intentionally misunderstood, and he's even being set up. And it's happening in such a way that by the end of this day, he will be dead. And so what I want to do is I want to consider this long text uh, in three parts. Uh, one, Stephen is falsely accused, two, Stephen defends himself, and three, Stephen dies. Um, and, uh, and it's not going to be as, as long. It's going to be a normal length of sermon, even though the scripture was, was long. So first, let's start off and, and, and kind of walk our way through this passage. Stephen is falsely accused. Now, some might look at Stephen's speech and be a little bit critical. It, he seems to ramble on about the history of Israel. I would imagine most of us during the reading at some point, kind of went off and kind of got disinterested in the whole thing. And if this is a sermon, can we agree it was probably a bad sermon? <laughs> I mean, it's a little scattered. Might sound like me a lot of times. Like go, man, what's he? T-? He's just kind of going all over the map and I'm not sure what his point is. And what about this? Is this a gospel presentation? If this is a gospel presentation, was the gospel very clear to you in this presentation? You know, I'm not even sure he articulates the gospel at all here. Now, if you're going to judge Stephen's speech here as a sermon or as a gospel presentation, I think you're going to have to give him a bad grade. But Stephen is not giving a sermon, and he's not giving a gospel presentation. We see what Stephen is doing in chapter 6, verse 11 through 14. So let's look at 611. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So we see here that Stephen has been accused of blasphemy, And to be more specific... He's being accused of speaking against this holy place, which is the temple, and the law, which is the law of Moses. Now, these two claims weren't just randomly made up. They got it from somewhere, and they got it from Jesus and what his followers were teaching. So here's what Jesus said about the temple. You don't have to turn here, but it's in John 2, verse 18. Jesus, or we read this. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build the temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. So, what the Jews missed about the temple was that the main idea of the temple was that that was supposed to be the dwelling place of God. God made his presence known through the tabernacle then the temple, and then Jesus, and then after that, which is crazy, us, the church. And so the thing that makes the temple holy is God is dwelling there. And throughout the Bible, the place where God came down to be with his people was a holy place. First, you had the Garden of Eden, then Mount Sinai, then the tabernacle, then the temple, then Jesus, and now, somewhat shockingly, with us, his people, the church. So those who were accusing Stephen of speaking against the holy place were not trying to understand that. They were trying to twist what Jesus had said and they were twisting what his followers were now saying. And they were hearing Stephen the way that Sean Hannity would hear Joe Biden. Or they're, they're hearing Stephen the way that Rachel, uh, Rachel Maddow might hear Donald Trump. They were looking for the worst possible way to understand what they were saying. And there was also this issue with the law. They were accusing Stephen of speaking against the law. But but again, this situation, they didn't want to understand. They only wanted to twist what Stephen was saying. So neither Jesus nor his disciples were speaking against the law. They were speaking about Jesus fulfilling the law. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And look, this is a really difficult idea to get anyway, but especially if you're trying not to get it. And, and the idea here that Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf and that, and that no one was made right with God through keeping the law, and said they were made right with God through faith by believing that Jesus fulfilled the law for them. Or as Paul put it in Romans 3.21, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. "...although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." So the message was that righteousness before God happens, not by obeying the law, but by the obedience of Jesus. And His righteousness will count for us if we have faith in Him that He did that, that He fulfilled the law for us, and repent and turn from our sins." And they just didn't get it. And actually, rather than, than saying they didn't get it, it would be more accurate to say they wouldn't get it. Not so much of a, a can't as, a, as it is a want. They don't want to get it. So instead of understanding what Jesus meant about how he fulfilled the law, they chose instead to twist what Stephen was saying. And they believed that Stephen was guilty of blasphemy, speaking against the temple, speaking against the law of Moses. And that was their commitment. And they were determined For that to be his position, no matter what he said. So they bring Stephen into the council and they ask him, are these things so? And now Stephen has the floor. So my second point, Stephen defends himself. Stephen has a really good starting point here. He starts with the God of glory. He says, the God of glory appeared to Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. And what is special about Abraham and Mesopotamia is that God chose to reveal himself there to a person. What was not special was Mesopotamia or Abraham. What was special about those two things is that God chose to reveal himself there to that person. And so here Stephen is subtly making the point that what makes a person, place, or thing special or holy is what God is doing with that person, place, or thing. Then Stephen moves on to Joseph and we we're reading verse 9 and 10 that God was with Joseph in Egypt. One thing to note about Joseph is that when he shared this prophecy with his brothers, they did not treat him well. They sold him into slavery. Moving on, he talks about Moses. God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. One thing you should know about the burning bush here. It's a holy place, right? Everybody agrees. Not in Israel. That was not in the promised land. And then with with the story of Moses, we also read about Mount Sinai, where God came down, gave him the the Ten Commandments, right? Gave him the law. Again, not in the Holy Land, not in Israel. And another side note, the Israelites did not receive Moses well. They often wanted to kill him. So next, Stephen moves on to David and Solomon. David collected the materials to build the temple, uh, but God didn't allow him to, to build it because there was so much violence during his reign. But his son Solomon would be the one to build the temple, and he did. And then Stephen, quoting the prophet Isaiah, put the temple in context. Stephen said this in, chapter seven, in Acts chapter 7, verse 48, starting there. He said, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So Stephen is showing here. That he is by no means blaspheming against Moses or the law or against the temple. The, the problem is that the people in the council accusing Stephen don't get it and they don't want to get it. And Stephen understands the true meaning of the law, the, the law of Moses, and the true meaning of the temple, and his accusers do not. John Calvin said No harm can be done to the temple and the law when Christ is openly established as the end and truth of both. So so Stephen goes through this history of Israel showing that he has a high regard for both the law of Moses and the temple. And then he does something that I really admire. And I admire it because it's so different than what I would have done. So so I would have gone through this whole history of Israel. uh, And then I would have said something like this, See, guys, can you see how it, how it makes sense the, the law of Moses and the temple, there's a, there's a new Moses. Moses talked about this there's this, a prophet to come that's like me. That's, that's Jesus. There's this temple, the dwelling place of God. The whole idea of the temple, y'all know, this is where God makes his presence known. And now Jesus, dwelling among, it all makes sense. You know, can you connect the dots here? Or maybe at least, hey, that was a lot. Are there any questions? Did I lose anybody there? He doesn't say that. Here's what he says, chapter 7, verse 51. So he just finishes his sermon, or whatever it is, and he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. He tells them that he is not the problem. They are the problem. They are acting like their ancestors did who do not receive the prophets of of their day. And they, like them, have killed the one that God sent to them. They killed the righteous one. They killed Jesus. He did not try to land the plane softly. He didn't try to encourage them to say, hey, I can see where you missed this. We got a long standing tradition of these things. Uh, he didn't ask them to, hey, try to understand what I'm saying. You know, he, he wasn't soft with them. And at this point, Stephen had seen and heard enough. It's time to call a spade a spade. They weren't hearing because they didn't want to hear because they were stiff necked. That means they were stubborn. And this was not received well by the people, which brings me to my third point. Stephen dies. Let's read what happens next, starting in verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. More on that later. We won't get to that today. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So not only do they reject what he said, they stone him for what he said. They threw large rocks at him until his heart was no longer beating. And not only does Stephen die on this day, things get much worse for the church on this day. We see in chapter 8, verse 1, that a great persecution arose against the, against the church in Jerusalem. So not only does Stephen die on this day, but a lot of other believers start taking hits too. There's maybe some people at home, maybe who they were less vocal, had less attention. Uh, but then, man, once, once Stephen opened his big mouth, now all of us are taking a hit for it. And so things are getting really bad for a lot of people in the church in Jerusalem. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, I want you to notice something here. The church in Jerusalem is facing persecution. And for this reason, many people decide to relocate. And look, this is no small thing, right? I mean, if, if you guys have ever moved, like it's, it's a big deal. And for these people are like, things are so bad here. We, we need to get our family out of here. They're, they're, they're afraid for their lives. They're afraid for maybe leaving their children orphan or maybe their children dying. They, they didn't know what was going on. And so they're like, hey, we got to get out of here. And where do they go? To the region of Judea and Samaria. That's significant. The reason that is significant is because of what Jesus said in chapter one, verse eight. So go back to Acts chapter one, verse eight. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Check. And in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth, so Jerusalem, check, moving on to Judea and Samaria. The gospel had taken root in Jerusalem first, and now we are seeing it move to Judea and Samaria, just like Jesus said it would. And what provoked the spread of the gospel to Judea and Samaria was not a good strategic plan drawn out by the apostles. What provoked the spread of the gospel was persecution. As the early church father Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so one thing we learn from this, okay, we're talking a lot about what's going on in this passage. Now we're gonna bring it home to us now. One thing we learn from this is that our God does great things when his people are being persecuted. Our God does great things When bad things are happening, our God, this might sound more familiar, works all things together for good. As John Piper says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. The only thing I might disagree with on that is I think the number three is a bit high. The, The lesson we learn here is that faithfulness is more important than results. Stephen died, the church got persecuted. That was the the immediate right in their face. It seemed like Stephen being so vocal was a problem. It wasn't. The lesson we learn here again is that faithfulness is more important than results. For believers, the end does not justify the means. God is in control of the ends. We don't know what he is doing. We are in control of our own faithfulness and we should never forsake Our part so that we can help God out with his part. So, Stephen, if you'll remember, a faithful deacon from from earlier in Acts chapter 6, Stephen, a faithful deacon in the church, respected and loved, is just being faithful with what God had given him. And how does that faithfulness work out for Stephen? Did God show up for Stephen on this day? Did God come through? for Stephen on this day? I guess that depends on how you look at it. If what is most important in Stephen's life is Stephen's life, then you might say that God did not come through for him. Tim Keller once said, if you say, I believe in God, I trusted God, and he didn't come through, then you only trusted God to meet your agenda. What if Stephen's agenda wasn't centered on Stephen? Stephen. What if instead it was centered on the God of glory and the gospel? Well, then God did come through for Stephen. The gospel spread. He was able to join the, the, the ranks of those who loved not their life to death. He knew the high honor of giving their, his life for Christ and who before his eyes closed in death saw heaven opened up And we we read about Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. He wasn't seated. Jesus stood. It's been said that we become like what we worship. I think this was the case for Stephen. He was so bold. Like I said, I I, I admire that boldness uh, to call people out the way he did. But he wasn't... He wasn't just like that, and we know that because what he said as he was, it says as he was being stoned, he said this, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, and a lot of you know, that sounds familiar. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Isn't that interesting how bold he was? and then how compassionate he was towards those who were throwing rocks at him until his heart stopped beating. So may God help us to be like Stephen, that we would share his boldness and that we would also share his compassion. Two things that often don't go together, but we're very well situated in the person of Christ and in Stephen and with God's help us. So may we be like the martyrs of old, Faithful soldiers to the end, regardless of the cost, as the song we're about to sing says, "O may thy soldiers, faithful, true and bold, fight as the saints, who nobly fought of old, and win with them, the victor's crown of gold. Let's pray. O oh, Father, thank you for those you have raised up over the history of the church, who loved not their life to death who died for the gospel, who died for Christ. Uh, would you help that spirit, that we the, the, the same spirit they had, we have, we possess as believers. And would you make us bold, full of compassion? Would you help us to have a good understanding of the person of Christ, what he is and did, how he's the, the better Moses and the, the, the better temple, the truer Moses, the truer temple. And may we have a vision of the God of glory that we would uh, not only be willing to die, but would count it a privilege and an honor to die for Christ and for the gospel. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, amen.